Welcome back to The Landscape, your show about America's public lands and national monuments. I'm your host, Kate Gretzinger, with the Center for Western Priorities. Today, we're talking about some very exciting news that came out of the White House Conservation in Action Summit on March 21st. President Biden designated two new national monuments at the summit, protecting over half a million acres of public land. These monuments are Aviquame, located in southern Nevada, and Kastner Range, just outside of El Paso, Texas. We made many documentaries about both monument proposals last year as part of our Road to 30 postcard series. So we're going to play you some audio from those films and then chat with Lauren Bogard, who's in charge of our postcard series, as well as CWP's executive director, Jen Rokola. Here's Paul Jackson Jr., a member of the Fort Mojave tribe, talking about Aviquame. Avikwame means spirit mountain. This area is important to us because it's who we are. The beginning, the Garden of Eden. And here's Angel Pena, executive director of Nuestra Tierra, talking about Kastner Range. community of El Paso surrounds Castner Range um, and really creates the backdrop for a lot of us who grew up in this town. I was driving through Castner Range the other day and when I was looking down in the valleys I saw a future where me and my kids could hike down and have a picnic. I saw a future where my kids kids will be able to enjoy the tradition and culture that is El Paso that is founded in land and people and people in land. So Jen, off the top here, how does it feel seeing a lot of the work that CWP has been doing over the past two years sort of coalesce in these monument um, designations? Uh, Well, thanks, Kate. This is a great day for Western public lands. And in his remarks, uh, President Biden said this is a big deal. And this is a really big deal. Um, Not only did he designate uh, a Vikwame, National Monument, which is over 500,000 acres. He also designated Castner Range National, National Monument in Texas, which wasn't necessarily a surprise to us, but it was really great to see these uh, two monuments uh, designated today in the same day. And this just keeps with his commitment to protecting 30% of lands and waters uh, in the United States by 2030. And this is a really important step. So it's, it's a big day. And Lauren, you visited both of these places. Um, Before we sort of talk more about the locations themselves, how does it feel, you know, having been on the ground and met the people fighting for these monuments, seeing them um, established? Well, it's not every day you get to wake up to really good, exciting news. And I feel so privileged to have spent time on the ground in some of these places and meeting the folks who have been working for decades to protect them, that can only deepen your commitment and um, desire to, to support those efforts and see them go forward. And then to hear the president himself talk about how uh, conservation can, can provide a, a bridge to our past and to our future. And to quote one of my personal heroes, Rachel Carson, it's, uh, it's a really great day to be in this line of work. 
since you did visit these places, will you tell us a little bit about what it's like to actually uh, be out of Iquame and Kastner Range? Sure thing. So as I mentioned a little bit, it's uh, it's really hard to describe just how much it deepens your understanding of a place when you actually get to be there on the ground and to hear from people who know these places intimately. And uh, as I mentioned as well, in both instances, people have been working, the local community and uh, many indigenous-led efforts to protect these areas for for decades. So uh, I learned an incredible amount. And the more I learned, the more I wanted to know. Um, The enthusiasm and uh, passion for these areas uh, was infectious. And the really cool thing about making films is that it forces you to look at things from a new lens, both literally and metaphorically. So it makes you appreciate light and sound and movement in the way that you might not in a different format. So it's a, it's a powerful medium for communicating why these places matter. Sure. And I'll jump in because I actually visited Aviquame with you. Um, and when you were just talking about how light, um, you know, how you're, you're aware of light when you're making a film. I just remember um, the peaks of Spirit Mountain, which are part of the monument, um, looked completely different throughout the day, depending on how the light was hitting them and the clouds in the sky. And um, we were there, I think there was a bit of a storm or just some clouds when we were there. And it was just crazy to see um, the landscape shift so quickly from like bright, um, bright sort of blown out white desert to like cloudy, moody, beautiful colors. Um, and one other thing that um, I remember from the video and th- that your comments sort of sparked this memory for me was when we were interviewing Nora McDowell, who's um, a Fort Mojave tribal member, she started crying while she was talking about the importance of, of Iquame. And she said, the mountain is me, like this landscape is who I am. And that to me was really profound. And I just had never thought about a landscape that way. Um, Do you have any memories of Kastner that you'd like to share? Because I did not visit, I did not have the privilege of visiting that monument. Sure. So I'd actually never been to El Paso before. And I really didn't realize what a big city it is, or frankly, it's geographic location where it is uh, there near our Southern border and across the, the way from Ciudad Juarez. It's an urban environment. And what's I didn't realize that it's one of the largest population centers in the country. Um, and so what's immediately apparent is just how vital and necessary access to nature is in that kind of setting. And we were there filming in mid-October, and there were so many people outside enjoying uh, other city parks. So you can imagine that while this National Monument comes in at a little less than 7,000 acres, which isn't a huge landscape, it will have an outside impact on the community where there is a, uh, a lot of development pressure and frankly, a, a need for more access to outdoor spaces. And as you were mentioning, Kate, about um, Spirit Mountain and Aviquame, the Franklin Mountains are the backdrop for the northeast part of El Paso. So Many of the speakers in our film note that they've looked at uh, Kastner Range and the Franklin Mountains their whole lives, and they've never been able to walk out into that landscape, which must be so tantalizing this time of year in March when those poppies are blooming. Uh, 
so what you understand is um, whether or not people living in El Paso have been able to walk on that landscape. It's, it's a part of their day-to-day lives. And, and I'll just clarify, they can't go there because um, the Kastner Range is, was previously owned by the Department of, the De- of Defense. Um, I'm not sure what will happen with the ownership now that it's becoming a monument. I assume it will be transferred to the Interior Department somehow. Um, but the range has live munitions on it still, so it's off limits to the public right now. But Biden did say today during his comments that the um, – part of becoming a monument will include um, sweeping it and um, I forget the word he used, but basically making it safe for the public to go there. So that's very exciting. Um, we'll literally open up access to 7,000 acres of green space right next to a huge urban center. I think El Paso is maybe our 25th largest city in the country. Um, and then you've got Ciudad Juarez across the border, which is, I believe, also very large. So Just like a ton of people are going to get to go out and experience that nature, which is so awesome. Um, Lauren, is there anything else you want to add about Aviquame that we didn't cover? I do. I just want to underscore your description of how luminous Spirit Mountain itself is. It almost looks like it has light coming from within. So, you know, the entire landscape is stunning, but that particular peak still has distinction, um, And that really came through in our film, which I was very pleased with. Um, But I would say it's the kind of landscape where you can find yourself overwhelmed by the majesty of both the micro and the macro scale. So as Kate mentioned, uh, we saw some rays of light poking through storm clouds. So the sky is, you know, that classic Western sky that just fills your, um, your entire vision And then we spent some time really looking at these old and massive Joshua trees. Um, I remember we spent about a good half hour filming a chipmunk that was all too happy to show us his best angles. So it's the kind of place where you're you're looking at uh, the ground and, and what's in front of you, as well as just the scale of the entire landscape. I forgot about that moment. That was so wild. We we pulled up in a car right next to this tiny chipmunk and he didn't run away. We got out of the car and he still didn't run away. And then he just sort of like played around on the rocks right in front of us. And I, I'm not sure if any of that footage made it into the film, but it was definitely a very cool experience. Yeah, the editing process is brutal. <laughs> <laughs> True. <laughs> got to get it down to three minutes. Um, Jen, Tell us a little bit more about what went into getting these monuments designated um, and how this process usually works. Well, I think as as Lauren mentioned, uh, it's been decades uh, since local leaders, I'm going to use Kastner Range as an example, but it's been decades since the local community there identified uh, Kastner Range as a place that they wanted designated as a national monument. And so you know, it's truly a grassroots effort. And that's how most of these monuments start. It's a grassroots effort working with local elected leaders, your member of Congress, your senators. A lot of times these places, the movement to protect these places starts as legislation. Um, But as we know, Congress is broken and getting conservation legislation passed through the House and Senate has become very difficult. And so the president has the opportunity to use the Antiquities Act, which has been used over 
for over a hundred years to designate some of the most iconic uh, landscapes as national monuments. When you think about the Grand Canyon, uh, started off as a national monument here in Colorado, the um, the Great Sand Dunes started off as a national monument, and now it's this iconic national park in southern Colorado. But it's really the grassroots effort of local leaders within communities that really helped start the process of designating these these places as uh, places that de- deserve protection. Um, uh, Kate, I forgot the rest of your question. Um, how does the process usually work? It's it's it, it can be it can be really challenging because you sometimes have a you know industry opposition, whether it's the oil and gas industry or the mining industry, who would rather you know use the land uh, for extractive purposes. So it's it's a long process, um, but in the end, today it's a great day to celebrate uh, all of the work that went into both of these monuments. Absolutely. Jen, one quick follow-up question for you on this one. How would you describe CWP's work um, on these monuments? What what did CWP do to sort of move these proposals forward? You know, CWP worked really hard to help drive a narrative around these monuments, showing that these places uh, were supported by the local communities, really giving voice to folks on the ground, but also, you know, showing that these places uh, had a lot of support behind them through public polling and through the reports and our podcasts and all of the things that we can do to help drive a positive narrative around conservation and highlighting, you know, the voices behind these efforts. So Jen, sticking with you here, you mentioned this earlier that these two designations will sort of help um, go towards Biden's 30 by 30 goal. That's the goal to protect 30% of the U.S., um, 30% of U.S. lands and waters by 2030. How do these monuments help with that goal? Well, 500,000 acres is a a big landscape. And so that is a significant step in the right direction when it comes to protecting 30% of U.S. lands. Uh, But there's still a long ways to go. Uh, last time, I think the number, the percentage of U.S. lands that are protected is 12 percent. I'm not sure exactly how, uh, you know, what percentage the 500,000 acres that the president protected today gets us. But there's some there are some large landscapes uh, within the United States that still deserve protection. And I think you're going to see I, I think this is probably going to help build momentum for these other uh, local campaigns. There's legislation that's been introduced, but I think in the end, the president's going to need to use his authority under the Antiquities Act. And I think this gives everybody some a sense of hope that, that there are some more opportunities. And the president has a chance, has an opportunity to continue to build his conservation legacy. Right. And he seemed very proud of that legacy today. Obviously, he was speaking at the Conservation in Action Summit, but we've seen him um, sort of touting his conservation credentials a lot in the past couple of weeks. So um, it will be interesting to see if he continues this momentum. Let me add something, Kate. I think, you know, he always talks about a personal story about taking his kids to a national park when they were little. And I think, you know, everybody has their own personal story. And I think that's why you know, people are so emotional around the protection of these places that once you go to a national park or a national monument and 
the way you guys are describing a Viquame, it's just something that's really just, it's, it's something that's really special and personal. Totally. And I think you could see that in the president's remarks today. Yeah, you can tell he cares on a personal level more than just a political level about this, which I think is really cool. And uh, we're lucky that our that our issue um, strikes such a personal chord with people. Now, Jen, you mentioned momentum and um, this sort of maybe giving some um, uh, energy to smaller campaigns or uh, other monument campaigns. Lauren, I know that you have been looking into a lot of different monument campaigns um, for inclusion in our postcard series. And I'm curious if there, um, what other campaigns are on the horizon? What other monuments are being proposed out there? Yeah, so as soon as we launched this campaign in late 2021, and I started looking into this, I'm finding that there are locally led conservation efforts all over the country. They're not always into calling for a national monument. And as Jen mentioned, there's uh, a lot of really well-crafted and thoughtful legislation that, you know, sometimes those folks have to reintroduce it Congress after Congress. Um, but there, the good news is there are a lot of efforts around the country. So I'll just mention a couple. Uh, there is a locally an indigenous-led effort to expand the Berryessa Snow Mountain National Monument in California to include an area called Moluk Luyok that is sacred to the Yochadihi Winton Nation. Uh, so that's one that uh, where there is a, a public ask for a national monument. And there are also several proposals to expand or create new national wildlife refuges. So, you know, a wildlife refuge has a different management focus than other types of land protection. And there are different ways uh, that you can establish a new refuge through legislation. I think the Secretary of the Interior has some authority. So we actually featured a few of those proposals as part of the postcards campaign, including, Kate, your interview with folks from the Hispanic Access Foundation about the Western Riverside National Wildlife Refuge proposal that is a southeast of Los Angeles. It's actually really big too. It's um, when we spoke with them, they it, the proposal was three hundred forty thousand acres, and because it's a pretty urban area, it would provide access to green space as well as wildlife habitat. And then I want to mention too that President Biden, using his authority under the Antiquities Act can designate national monuments that honor and commemorate aspects of our shared American history, like his designation one year ago, of the Amache historical site in Colorado where Japanese Americans were interned during World War II. And there are some other cultural monument proposals that are in the works that folks may have heard of, including one that would protect historical sites related to Emmett Till's murder and also the uh, Black Wall Street area in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we'll share a, a link to Kate's story map about cultural monuments in the show notes. Um, and then I'll just put a plug in here that we're continuing to investigate and research more land and water protection proposals. And we're looking forward to feature, featuring those as part of our postcards campaign to highlight the people behind these protection efforts. Totally. And we will also include a link to the Road to 30 Postcards series website where you can watch more videos and listen to other podcasts um, and read more about um, proposed land protections. Um, Jen, when we made these films a year ago, it felt like monument designation was still a long way off. 
But here we are um, seeing more than 500,000 acres protected as monuments. What made these two campaigns, Avico May and Kastner Range, so successful? And do you think there are any tips that um, other local campaigns can take from their success? Yeah, that's a great question, Kate. I think it's 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 really the the local leadership being just relentless. And then it doesn't hurt to have a member of Congress who, as the president said, kept calling. I think that's he was referring to Representative Escobar from uh, El Paso, uh, that she was relentless in her uh, in her outreach to the president. So it always helps to have a uh, uh, a proverbial squeaky wheel, uh, making sure that the president knows this is important to your your constituents. But it's really a, a, a well organized local campaign that then also works with national organizations, so that there's there's support at the local level. There's also support at the uh, national level, but it really starts with the with the local grassroots uh, efforts. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much, um, Jen and Lauren. We appreciate you, or I appreciate you being here. <laughs> I guess we're all, we all work together, so you kind of had to be here. But thank you again, and um, I can't wait to talk to you about more National Monument designations in the future. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Kate. And one more thing. The Kastner Range Monument Proclamation actually directs the Secretary of the Army to manage the monument in collaboration with the Secretary of the Interior. They're supposed to come up with a management plan together that includes access for outdoor recreational opportunities, as well as historic and scientific research. Well, that's it for today's episode. If you have comments, feedback, questions, you can always email us at podcast at westernpriorities.org. Thanks again to Jen and Lauren for joining us today. And thank you for listening to The Landscape.